Dogs are pretty important to me. I could never be with a spouse who doesn't like dogs. It would be an enormous, huge red flag. And while you may differ as a cat person who I probably despise, I'm just kidding. It's totally fine. Sort of. If I'm going to be in a committed relationship with someone, though, they they have to have an appreciation for the pups. At the very least, if she tolerates dogs, then it'll work. And fortunately, I'm happily engaged to a wonderful woman, Jenny, with whom I share an adorable dog named Sloane. She's Sloane the Sass Dog on Instagram if you ever want to take a look. And to get to the point, though... While dogs and B2B SaaS typically only come into play together with a dog-friendly office, red flags are still something to look out for when it comes to operating your business. See what I did with that transition there? High churn is obviously a huge indicator of a problem, whether for investors or prospective employees or just your business in general when it comes to the health of your company. If a company has high churn, don't expect a lot of those right swipes. Now, today's guest, Yuman Sang, is the CEO of Churn Zero, a customer success software for growing SaaS and subscription businesses. In our discussion, we talk not only about churn, but also who owns it and is responsible for mitigating it. You know we love a good churn episode, so all that and more coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Yuman Sang dives deep on churn. We talk about innovation in customer success, establishing a retention focal point, optimizing retention, what most companies miss with retention, and who owns churn and expansion revenue. Who are you? What do you guys do? Yeah, so I'm Yuman Sang. I'm the founder and CEO of Churn Zero, and we uh, help SaaS businesses uh, fight customer churn. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we sell the customer success uh, professionals and, you know, help them understand their customers and are their accounts healthy or not, lead them to the right customer experience, right, and just do the right thing for the right time for them. Yeah, and what I love about what you have all done, besides the fight churn, I love that fight churn. You got to get Thank one you. of me those flight churn yeah, flags. Yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> Absolutely. those. But what I love about you guys is that, there was that kind of customer success 1.0, which was like the early stage of the market. What the heck is this thing? And we're still kind of defining it. And you kind of, at least in my opinion, you're part of the second wave of like, okay, we kind of learned the wrong way and some of the right ways. And now you're like the evolution. But one, do you agree with that? And two, what is customer success now versus kind of the, uh, the loud marketing of, you know, that we've seen previously? You always follow you know, the, the, the folks who were there first. Right. Sure. And I, and by the way, I've been there first. Yeah. All right. I've been in markets where I was first and I was just educating people all day, every yeah. day, like, you know, until I was, you know, sweating blood. Right. And, and, uh, it's a hard job, right. It's rewarding. Right. Yeah. And there are folks who, who've done that and it's, it's remarkable. Right. So one kudos, right. Cause, cause the pioneers are the ones, you know, who do the hard job. Why we got into the market was we saw, that, you know, the first generation was really about dashboarding and giving people more information. And, you know, like you and I have been in sales and marketing, right? And sales and marketing people have this unbelievable technology to help them understand their prospects, drive them through the funnel, right? Hit them at the right time, right? Score them, right? And and then you close win, right? And, you know, and you have all this technology backing you up. And then once you became a customer, all that, you went blind. Okay, here's a dashboard. Here's a pen, right? Here's an email. Here's a phone. Go get them. And so we just felt like, you know, a lot of the progress that, you know, the technology that was brought to bear on sales and marketing, 
you know, like, like who should get the best technology? Yeah, the sure. customers, right? Yeah, like, exactly. you know, so, so I think we brought sort of that mentality yeah. to that, right? It's like, how do we bring best practice around workflow, you know, about data, yeah. about putting that data to use, right? In an automated way, you know, supporting the CS team. Yeah. It's not a new idea, but we're just, we just brought it to customer success. Yeah. So, you know, so what I'm seeing with customer success is, you know, it's still a new department, right? And if you talk to most of the VPs and the leaders there, they're first-time managers, right? And so I think there's a lot to do around making sure they're going to be the best, right, at their jobs. And they're going to have the best analysis. They're going to have the best insights. They're going to do the best, right? So, you know, the most, make let's make them the most professional department in the entire organization. Yeah, I like how you put that because one of the things that I noticed about some of the early software and customer success, it was as if, and I don't mean this in a negative way, it's going to sound a little negative, but some of the early software was like, oh, HubSpot, Let's just copy and paste that and make it for customer success, right? And it was one of those things where it was like it's 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 a different, as you kind of alluded to, it's a it's a bit of a different beast, like in terms of like what the incentives are and what's necessary, because it's not about the start of the relationship, it's about the ongoing relationship, right? And that gets super complicated that you can't just like, you know, copy and paste the start of the relationship playbook. And so where have you seen kind of customer success evolve? Maybe not from the tech perspective, but like I feel like customer success is always like <laughs> the forgotten stepchild sometimes, yeah. or at least it was like, you're seeing more and more brands take it seriously. But the issue is that I at least see is like, it's still fighting for budget. Like I know public companies that are, t- are trying to buy you guys and they're just still fighting and you guys, you know, you're not the cheapest thing, but you're not crazy expensive. Right. And so it's one of those things where it's just one, why do you think that is? And then two, like, have you seen that change or are you envisioning that changing? Yeah. I mean, that's, right you know when i started a company it wasn't clear you know that this was a thing yeah. right you know it's like you know because we were betting on two things right we're betting on the growth of customer success right which meant that it's a real thing and it's growing and then two uh we were betting that if you had customer six a success team you would buy customer success technology right those are the two things we were betting on yeah right which are now, fair assumptions whether you have the those, data or those, not those are right? fair, yeah, right. yeah 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 and, and the first one which is is customer success a thing Right. Like if that didn't work out, sure. then, then we're just like a nice little company. Right. You know, servicing a, a niche uh, audience. So what I've seen is that I don't worry about that anymore. OK, so the drumbeat of customer success being a thing, staying a thing yeah. is real. Right. So total anecdotal like VP of sales. Right. He's yeah. very observant. So he hits every booth at Saster. Right. So sure. we're Saster now. Right. And he hits every booth. And he said to me yesterday, he goes, you know, this is the first year where I see more vendors servicing customer post customer, yeah. right? You know, post close than pre close, right? So there's it's a really good observation. Isn't that you great? That's a great observation. <laughs> yeah. Gal. So yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So he's like, okay, yeah. you know, because every year it's like sales and marketing, sales and marketing, sure. sales and marketing, and then a little bit of customer. Yeah. And this is the year he said, yeah, customer servicing companies, and I've seen sales and marketing servicing companies. Yeah. So I just think the drum beat is there, and I think every year it gets stronger sure. and stronger. Look, I mean, in the end, if you're a public company, if you're really a public company, right? Yeah. 80% of your revenue is already baked in. It's, yeah. it's your, like, why are you not devoting yeah. the vast majority of your spend sure. on servicing those people, right? Because the net new is, it's new. It's always, net new yeah. is always sexy. But I mean, come on, you know, once you're, once you're a public company, like that drives a, a smaller amount of your yeah. growth than these guys do. It's fascinating too, because probably the reason there's those public companies that are still trying to figure that out is because they're still being run by like old school thinking. There's like, no like we see that as well, where it's like getting someone who's like a four-year-old company 
to understand monetization, to understand churn, to understand these types of things in our spaces are like, it's a lot easier. Now, the budgets aren't always great, you know, because those are smaller, younger companies. But the larger companies, it's almost like they're they're still being built out of like the SaaS 2.0 model, which got them there. But obviously, what gets you there isn't always what gets you to the next place. And I think so, there's always momentum, right? Momentum is hard. To, yeah. So I think that's and always mar- hard Market to and momentum are so yeah. powerful. Yeah. Uh, Just take a look at your average CCL, your live, average person in charge of your customers. Yeah. And they tend to be a little younger. Yep. They tend to be a little less experienced, right? And so they just don't know how to pound the table as effectively, yeah. right? And so it's just a maturation or by process. design, they're not like that either. You know, they're not the right. necessarily the hardcore sales guy or they're not. Yeah, yeah, they're not, right? But even, even so, like, there's also a mat- you know, maturity level, sure. right, to that. And so, you know, if I said, if, if I said to you, hey, Patrick, I want to hire a CCO, you know, can you help me? Oh, by the way, I need someone with 20 years of experience. It's like, well, no one has, no one 20, exists, like, yeah. no one has 20 years experience here, right? Yeah. Well, you can find a CRO with 30 years of experience. Yeah. And so I think, you know, some of that naturally will go over time, right? So, you know, look, when ecosystems develop, you know, it takes time. Sure. And then as long as you feel like each year there's more, yeah. it is better and it's stronger, then you can feel good yeah. about You can feel good about it. Right? When you're also seeing the path and you see that there's probably a really interesting like framework if we wanted to like study the rise of markets or the rise of roles, right? Where there's a path where it's like, is this thing important? Yes. Okay. Where does the budget come from? Then there's always a little bit of friction of like, why isn't this just part of this org rather than like its own org? Right. Then you start to see like, is there a path for that person to grow to an ex- actual executive level? Because that's a thing that like, you know, what is that path for me succeeding as, as a, you know, a contributor, right? And you're starting to see with customer success roles, you, you, in some of these larger companies, the chief customer officer or whomever is ending up being the successor to like the CEOs, which you didn't see previously. You also, you always saw like maybe a CRO, maybe a ops person. And now it's like, I think we're in this age of customer centricity, which someone, you know, coined at some point, not us, but like, that's why I'm very excited for your space basically. Yeah. yeah. No, I, and I think you're right. You know, you always kind of wonder like, you know, where are all the CEOs coming from? Like what path, you know, does she take right up the ranks? Sure. I, I would make a bet, right? Like in yeah. 15 years, you go back and say, okay, all the, the new CEOs that were minted in the last year, 15 sure. years from now, like a lot of them will come up to the C- CCO ranks. Well, yeah, and I so. think the other thing that's, that's a tailwind for you in this and this theory is, um, the focus on net revenue retention, which go. is like all the rage, right? Like it's all the rage now. And it's like, I, mean, I know you're probably thinking this. And I think this too, very right. cynically of like, yeah, it should have been the rage 10 years ago. But like, it's, it's like, like, it's like, come on. Like, yeah. are we really just talking about this now? Well, but that's how, you know, that's how markets go. But I'm kind of curious, like, so first, maybe loosely, if not specifically defining like net revenue retention, why is it so important? Why do you think it's important now? Like what, what are your takes there? So net revenue retention is really just taking all the revenue that you bring into a time period, right? Some sure. people do it monthly, some people do it annually, but let's just, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Like yeah. all the revenue that you sort of went into the time period with, and then you, uh, you churn some customers, yeah. hopefully not a lot. Uh, you probably will contract a few customers, so they pay you a little less for yeah. some reason. Uh, but then you'll expand others, right? Yeah. And then you'll upsell others and cross-sell others, right? Yeah. And so within that cohort that you came in with, totally lose some, shrink some, 
increase some, yeah. upsell some. On the other side of that, right, when you do the calculation of what came out versus what came in is your net revenue retention. So I just right. want to point out, it's very rare a CEO actually understands the definition of net revenue. I almost was like, do I want to put them on the spot? I knew you would know it, but it's right. kind of funny. I've definitely asked people and they're like, uh, which is, oh, those are the companies well, it's not, short, See, the problem is yeah. that it's not a gap. It's not a, you know, yeah, gap exactly. generally accept, accepted accounting principle. Yep. So people do weird things with, with NRR anyway. Yep. Okay, so that's the first thing. Like, sure. like I've seen people, I've asked this, it's like, well, how do you do NRRs? Like you, and they do it some way. Well, I think it's because churn, they like to, there's lots of definitions of, like there's a standard like churn definition and then people get creative, especially on the road to going public. And sometimes they should, right? Like, I think if you have a very episodic type customer, you should try to like handle that a little bit differently. But sometimes it's like, this feels a little Enron-y, like when they do it. But anyway, that's me saying yeah, it. I know, no, no, oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've seen it. It's like, yeah. you don't count churn customers in your NRR? Like, I don't. That like, doesn't make any that sense. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, so it's, you know, relatively simple, right? Sure. Are you keeping your customers and are you getting, getting more from getting them? Getting more right? from them, yeah. And so it's become, like you said, like it's all of a sudden the rage. And it's like, well, yeah. it feels like it should have been the rage 10 years ago. And uh, so I've been raising money for probably two decades, three decades now. To the point, like when I raised money early on, you didn't talk about, you know, churn and retention until you got the term sheet signed, right? And then you were going and due diligence thing. Well, by the way, you know, how, how are your How's customers doing? Yeah. yeah. And so it was always the last thing you talked about, yeah. right? And then it sort of started to slowly flow, especially with SaaS coming along, like it got on your dashboard, right? And then it got to be like higher up in your dashboard. Yeah, right. So it is interesting. But now it's a qualifying metric. In other words, I don't give a damn what else you're doing, how interesting your tech is, how much growth you have. If your net revenue retention is poor, you're out. OK, so it's a it's a top two metric that gets talked about in the first 15 minutes of every single conversation. The other one being growth, like overall one growth? Being growth. I think growth's okay. number one. Yep. OK, uh, but if you have good growth and bad NRR, like that they're like, bad. Mm, yeah, thank yeah. you. Why, why don't we talk when you later, fix it? Right? Yeah. Uh, if you have great NRR and I, actually, I think, you know, like if, if I had to choose like, you know, two companies, yep. huge growth, bad NRR, decent growth. Great NRR, I I would definitely would I would too to do the latter, yeah. right? Ironically, like fixing the the growth part is easier. I mean, it's not easy. Maybe yeah, maybe not easy. Nothing's easier, easier. Right? but yes, but like that. This seems like a healthier more company. This is, yeah. this is more of a foundational company that which you can actually build something on. Or this yeah. one still has some really pro problems to fix here. So yeah, it's anyway. interesting. So why why do you think this has been like? Has it been the fact that there's now just so much out there? This is like another way that they can judge what's good or bad. VCs in this case, is it that the market just demands it and we saw companies not be able to like buy their way to success anymore like why why do you see this as a elevated number now so i think the subscription economy has really been you know the key so back when we were used to sell you know, in, you know on-prem software it was always the big chunk of the money came up front and i got eight, 15 18 percent you know a maintenance fee every year yep. right so I really cared about selling you the first thing. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing, okay, 15, 80%, that's great. Of course, I want, I want that. Sure. But man, it's nothing compared to yeah, year yeah, one, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And oh, oh, by the way, if you didn't use it, okay, whatever. Like yeah. it was shelfware. So, I mean, I think that was sort of, you know, and that mentality drove the software business, grew the software business, made it huge, yeah. Microsoft, whatnot. And I think that has so much momentum in the way we thought about new sales versus customer sales. It took a long time for us to finally like, woke up, you know, you wake up and realize, 
Well, no, that doesn't count. Like this counts, right? Because yeah. you have to renew your customers every month, every sure. year, however you do it. And so it just became slowly, slowly, slowly became obvious, I guess. Right. So it is weird that it took so long, but now it's yeah. here until a new model comes along until another, a new business model comes along. I think you know, NRR is, is definitely here to stay. Yeah. It's kind of funny, like I I have not raised, I've been involved with raising money and with other companies I've worked for, but I haven't raised personally. You've raised a lot. We've at least noticed, because we we oftentimes talk about the like, the harder, higher impact growth stuff, right? You've seen our content and you write a lot about churn, which I would argue is like the same thing, right? It's like, this isn't the new sexy TikTok campaign or like the new sales model or the new way to look at sales. It's very much like the stuff that's a little harder, if not a lot harder, but does have the impact, right? And I think what what I've seen is whenever there's a little bit of a market like dip, like whenever like, oh, it's, you know, and you see this in TechCrunch, like, oh, the valuations are going down a bit, that type of thing, which is, it's been a while since we've seen yeah. that. Well, last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 last year, because yeah, everyone freaked yeah, out. Right. Everyone freaked out. Everyone was like freaked out. For yeah. at least like a month, and then yeah, everyone absolutely. was like, all right, yeah, we're going to okay. go. Yeah. But the thing is, whenever you see that, you, you start to see like, oh, what are your unit economics That's coming right. to vote? That's right. And then all of a sudden, when we get to a better market, it's like, oh, interesting. We're we're just going to go back to just what is your growth, right? But this is the first market where, at least from a raising perspective, it seems like a little nuts. Like valuations are really good, right? Like to the point where some people I know who raise cash, like it's crazy. We're in a really good market for raising money. You're hearing about net dollar retention. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Like, is it is it just because like of everything you just said? Like, it is that context I gave about the raising money? Because it's sad to talk about like the VC side of this, but it's important for our ecosystem. And so, I'm just wondering if they they discovered like that's where the multiples are coming from, and so therefore they're going to lean into that hard anyways. Yeah, you know, I, I think like what becomes obvious is you know like you know, I've been on the on the sales and marketing side for many years, right? Yeah. And you know, at some point you know, chasing that huge growth year over year over year, especially on a bigger and bigger base, at some point becomes super hard. And then if you're, so if you're losing, let's just say, you know, your um, your team has net revenue retention of 80, by the way, never dollar retention, net revenue retention, like we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although dollars very US, so focus, come on, man. Yeah, 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 you gotta yeah, say yeah. revenue anyway. So you can yeah, say yeah, net yeah. euro retention anyway. So I think, you know, so if you're losing 20% of your base every year, so guess what? Your sales team has to recover that 20%. And then some right? to And grow. then some to yeah. grow, right? And so if I'm asking my sales team to say, okay, well, look, next year I wanna grow 20%, okay. right? Next year I wanna grow the company 20%. That's a great growth number. CS is going to lose 20s. Okay, you got to get 20. So I have to grow 40, right? Yeah. Just to make the math easy. Yeah. Uh, but if you're saying, oh, we're going to retain 100%. Oh, no, we're actually going to get 105%. Like, you know, we're going to expand. Then sales has to only grow 15%, right? And so therefore, like the VCs know, because sales is hard, yeah. marketing is hard. That it's a lot harder than it was. A lot harder than it was. Yeah. Like growing 40% is a hell of a lot different than growing 15%, right? Yeah. To achieve the same thing, which is yeah, a twenty exactly. percent net growth, right? So I think it's just, I think it's just math. People get it. Someone yeah. just, someone just finally did the damn math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were doing the math before of establishing like what net revenue retention is. Great, I'm on board. Yeah. What do I do? How do I, where do I optimize? Like, let's imagine we've analyzed each piece and we know where each piece is. And let's assume that like. There isn't, well, maybe I'll ask this, like, is there oftentimes one area that's a lot more obvious to start with than others? Be a little worried about 
you know, how NRR drives your behavior. Okay. You know, cause sometimes you, it's sort of, you read the press and you're like, oh my goodness, like Snowflake is doing 160% and Slack is doing 140% and these guys are doing, so know what kind of company you are, right? So let me give you an example. So Slack. Let's say let's say you're Slack and I'm say SAP. So you go much in, younger, older. I guess. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so you go as yeah. Slack into say a big company P and G, sure. And you sell to a team of twenty people. Yep. Right. And that's your first sale. And that's then that's the way you do it, right? Because that's sure. the way Slack works. Yep. And then you grow. Well, you better freaking have an incredible NRR, yeah, right? Because every right because it's because it's a land and expansion. If you strategy. go to two thousand and then twenty thousand, like, you got it's, to it'd right? be insane not to have one hundred sixty. I'm SAP. Like you can't buy a team thing. You yeah. you, you got this enterprise sell, yeah. okay? That you're buying the whole king caboodle. It's gonna oh, take a year for to do it. Like you're gonna get NRR of a gajillion percent. Yeah. And I'm gonna naturally get an ARR of a hundred and five percent, maybe right? Because you're already selling the two thousand seats up front. I sold it all up front right and so one just just like be careful of like who yeah. you're comping yourself against comp yourself against benchmarks are terribly you know, hard right yeah. the right type of company so like in defense of that defense i guess like um i have definitely seen companies game this way game it, and yeah. they don't and i don't think they think they're gaming it right. but they don't realize that like what they're doing is is good for like a narrative but not necessarily great for like the future right and i think that they yeah it is that's when a you, really good point that's when you optimize like like to a trend you know to yeah. the wrong way right so yeah. so you're like you know so you're like um this yes oh everybody wants a great nr so i'm going to charge less do you do you look at like a secondary metric like lifetime value or arpu then is that the idea yes, yes. I think is that you how can. you hedge against i think you that? can yeah. right like i look at lifetime value efficiency of spend yeah. right these are things that i think are important all right so so let's say you you know if you're trying to increase every so retention, that aside aside that aside, yeah, that aside yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know like, really like, point, like whatever's a good metric for you you know yep. when i tell people like if you don't know where to start like the top three places to start are onboarding onboarding and onboarding yeah. okay those are the top three places to start and yeah. uh and that's because you know like most pieces of software or services or whatnot like if they're not engaged right away yeah. if they don't have a good experience right away if they're not you know sort of shown how you know or make it easy and how to do it right away then you just got like you're just in a hole you're yeah. just in a one hole right so there's no doubt to me that that is where everyone needs to get got you it. know get it right now, that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Yeah. For some people, it's you make the product so easy to use that there's no onboarding. You just like press a few buttons. Oh, I'm getting value yeah. right away. Like and maybe an Uber, right? Like, Got you know, it. like those are amazing apps, right? That make sure. it easy. And now there's like SAP. Let's just use SAP. It's like yeah. you got to install that damn thing. Then you yeah. have to train 2,000 people, yeah. right? You got all the data in there. Uh, and that's just a much longer thing. But either way, you still yeah. gotta make it right. That's actually a really interesting forcing function or learning function. You know, it's almost like, and I haven't really thought about this because you see a lot of these tools that help with onboarding, you know, either from a product led basis or even on a, a, a touch full basis, right? And what's really kind of fascinating is that if you study an SAP, what are all the things they have to do because there's so much inertia to get something implemented. And then there's probably a lot of stuff you can learn for more of like a product led growth type onboarding, Absolutely. that type of thing. So. Absolutely. And I think onboarding is a great, great start because it sows the seed for lower active cancellations as well as expansion revenue. Because if they're doing the right things, then all of a sudden they can they can really expand. So do you have like, you know, we're not going to get into a three hour discussion on onboarding, although you and I will probably enjoy it. But like, what is like, what are what are some of the like pitfalls people see with like onboarding and some of the things that like, you know, they do really well? For most emerging companies, right, they probably 
haven't figured out like the the best path, right? Got and it. you know, because I've I've hired one onboarding person and a CS person is doing that, yeah. and so they're doing it slightly different ways, right? So one is, you know, really try to make it a repeatable process, right? And so that's a very simple thing, right? So there's a repeatable process where you have real goals at specific time intervals, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, look, you know, I need this thing to happen by week one. I need this thing to happen by week three. Yeah. You know, I need this thing, and then I need this. I need to go live by you know week eight. Let's just say whatever yeah. it is, right? And then put out the the path to that, the play that makes that happen, and then track it, right? And just yeah. say no, like hey, today or this week, how many people are off plan on sure, their onboarding, sure, sure, sure. right? And if there's and they're off plan on onboarding, like this is the play that we run, you know, yeah. to deal with this customer or that customer, and so. Yeah. You know, like most things, right? Especially if you're in, if you're scaling mode, it's it's you know it's just making process and tracking the process, right? It's you know it's almost like sales, right? Like sales is very like methodical. It's like okay, what stage are you in? Oh, you're you know oh you're in presentation mode. Okay, this has to happen, right? Oh uh, oh you're in proposal mode. This has to happen. Oh, you didn't send that thing. Oh, you gotta go. You gotta make sure you do that before. It, yeah, yeah. By the way, you know onboarding is so different. Like if I'm SAP, maybe there is no plan. Like you know like I have to set the plan. Up front. Like everyone's yeah, different, right? So yeah, like, okay, yeah. like okay for this company, it's yeah. it's it's plan A and this plan is plan Z, but from you know companies have a repeatable process like make it repeatable yeah When you look at the other aspects of net revenue retention, so we're, we're thinking about onboarding. What are some of the other things that like most companies are either not doing enough of or aren't doing at all? You know, it's hard to do net revenue, re- good revenue retention if you don't have anything else to sell. That's yeah, it's a big one. You can go too far and create a bad experience sure. where like it's like I'm going to sell you every everything's an add on and everything. Yeah. Oh oh oh, like oh no, you want to go to silver? You need to do this. You need yeah. to go to gold, then you yeah. need to do that. So there is really there really is by the way. I think additions actually is a great way to segment the market. Market, right. I do think, you know, having add-ons is a way for you to like capture different components of the audience who are paying less and paying more. So I do think it's valid. Yeah. Right. But the drive to never retention is like, I'm going to make, you know, we need to get more. You need yeah. to get a higher one. So like this new feature is now going to be an add-on. Right. Yeah. Or that, you know, I'm going to put that only in enterprise yeah. and gold. And so on one hand, when you when you start off, you, you, you know, you instinctively put everything in one one edition sure. like, okay oh you know so i only have so much stuff i only got so much stuff <laughs> yeah it, you know i don't really have enough stuff right yeah. it's an mvp so you have to make that but once you make that beefy enough right uh you, you really do have to think about product and packaging yeah. right and never every retention will naturally drive naturally you drive, yeah. yeah it's been kind of interesting because the skew thing i think is really important and you you do see some folks in the early stage um of like the net revenue retention revolution, let's say, or early SaaS. Like, uh, I remember Salesforce, and it's easy to pick on Salesforce, obviously. Sure, but, let's pick um, on them. Yeah, but Salesforce, we bought it as like a four or three person sales team, yep. which is, you shouldn't, I don't think you should buy it because we, but we were a little more sophisticated. So we had HubSpot as well. They gave us access to the integration. So we technically could hook up the account. But if we wanted API calls, yes. We had to be up on the next plan. Absolutely. Which makes no sense. Like, because it's like you you don't, if you're not putting data through the API, like, why would you give me access? Right. And so that's like the nickel and dime. And I think that what we found, at least in a lot of pricing data, is if you have a feature or some aspect of your product, like one rule is kind of um, if it's in a tier or it's across the board and less than 40% of people are using it. Right. That's kind of where you should start looking and then doing a little research. A lot of times those types of features can be pulled out and then sold as add-ons because 
you really want to find something that not everyone really cares about, but the people who really care about it are willing to pay for it and are more than happy to pay for it, which is, you know, the last little asterisk. I, I, I mean, I read that from, yeah. from, from you guys. I think yeah. that's a really great way to think about it now. So, oh, so, let's get so, into so, the debate. So, a, so a trick about, <laughs> no, a question yeah, about yeah, that, yeah. right? It's like, you don't know that. Sure. Right. So at one point you wake up and you're like, okay, in my, let's just say my bronze plan, yeah. like it was 40%. So I'm yanking that off, right? Yeah. As an add-on. And then what do you do for the people who are using it that in a bronze? They, they get to grandfather that in? It kind of depends, right? Because sometimes, I mean, this is kind of the classic, like, you know, the similar question is, what if you were giving something away for free and you start charging for it, right? right? Um, and, and you know, you know, even if you lower your price, right. you'll actually end up getting some churn because people right. are reminded. And the, the secret is, is like, was that churn because people actually didn't want the product in general and right. you're just forcing them to make a decision now? Or was it something that, like, you messed up? Right. So I think in that case, the easiest thing to do is just legacy. Like they just keep it they for keep free it. or for okay. whatever the price was. I think that in some cases where we've seen this done with just pretty average, if not above average communication, right. you'll see some general churn. So like these people just didn't want the product anymore, but you won't necessarily see a lot of churn. And, and there's something called a legacy discount where it's like, Hey, basically, you know, I'm going to ham this up a little bit, but like, Hey, you've been with us for so long. Right. Congratulations. That's amazing. Right. We're so happy you've been with us for everyone who's new. Right. The price goes to here, right. but for everyone else, you, you loyal person, you know, you're going to keep this for the next six months at this price and then we'll, we'll knock it off. And like that, it seems kind of like dumb, but like it works really oh, well. No, I, it works I, really well. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a, you know, I actually, um, I was thinking about, you know, we have some customers who are buying us for the third time now, right? And I was thinking about getting them like a jacket, like a like a maybe like is it a like what do you yeah. think? Oh, like a three timer, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Get them like patches or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Patches, I think you know? that'd be great. Um, no, I like that because that's the, that's a good sign of a product too. Like where oh it's yeah, like, you bring it to a new. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that with with some of our products where it's like someone gets there, they're in the role, they have the authority, and like right. these are the first things they do, which. I mean, that feels like the longevity starts to happen then, right? Like you now have something at first you're like, okay, this is, is, are we going to survive? Sure. Right. Like, is is this a, is this a worthy company? And all of a sudden it's like, okay, is this a, is this a lasting company? Yeah. Right. Those are sort of the stages that I sort of think. Well, I think that the product market fit aspect is that getting from survival to the next stage, the lasting company, I think is where, when you start seeing those signs that you just described, that's when you're like, Oh, interesting. Like we can mess this up, but also like there's something here that's going to drive there's us enough, here, which right. is really powerful. Right. I, I think, you know, yeah, there's a difference between making it to product market fit, yeah. scaling it, and then an enduring company. I think those are different. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, so, so here, a couple interesting questions then. Yeah. Customer success, do they own churn, expansion, mm-hmm. both? Uh, customer success, Almost always own, well, not almost always, yeah, yeah, but, I gotcha. but, but, yeah. but more Most often than time, not, yeah. owns, absolutely owns renewal, yep. like more than 50% of the time. Close to 50% of the time owns expansion, okay? Yep. So basically more of the same yep. or similar. Upsells, cross-sells, yeah. Expansion, so basically more of the seats, okay. add-ons, so, yeah, right, yeah, whatnot, yeah. Upsell, right? Yeah. And I think cross-sell, which is like, okay, you here's know, you're the buyer, thing. but here's the new new thing. Yeah. Like, like if your sales force is like, okay, I sold you the sales module, but I'm now going to sell you the marketing module and the support yeah. module and the CPQ module. Like those cross, let's call those cross sales, right? Yeah. New, new thing, 
I say less than half, you know, goes to CS and most of that goes to an account manager that's dedicated on sales, expansion sure. sales, or actually goes back to sales itself. It. Right. And so what about churn? I mean, at the very least, they are bonused on churn. Got it. And at the very most, they get, you know, they, it's almost commissioned yeah. on, on, you know, uh, the whole thing. Right. And so two controversial customer success questions. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Quota yeah. or no quota? They have to have some variable. I, that's what I believe, right? Okay. And what I've seen is anywhere from 55% of your OTE as variable all the way up to 50%. Got it. Okay, I've seen that. I've seen that it's gap. Big spread. I've seen that spread. Yeah. But it's something. I yeah. Said, yeah. 5%, I mean, they're really customer satisfaction people, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's not, 50% they're salespeople. Yeah. Okay, what do you want? What do you want, right? Like, yeah. what, what do you want? And, and, and I actually think the happy medium, which is kind of a, sorry, weak answer is like 20, 25%, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, because customer people are not salespeople. And right? they shouldn't be expected to be, they in should my be, opinion. They, yeah. Right, so you don't want to comp them like salespeople, sure. right? Because, you know, you really want them to treat the customer well. You, you don't want, want them, them to badgering them for long term decisions time, right? versus like short. Right. Yeah. And then when, I know when is hard because it depends on a lot of factors, but when should you have that first customer success hire? So, you know, Jason Lemkin says it's a single digit hire. Have yeah. you heard that? I've heard that. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So that's your first nine Ten people. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, first yeah. nine. Yeah. Yeah. So zero, one to nine is Got your it. customer success person. So, yeah. I think, I think that's actually yeah. right. Single digit hire. And do you think that, do you start with, because I think this is a classic like single digit hire problem. You start with either like the director level, got a lot of experience, or do you start with someone who's been doing it a few years and is more more individual contributor who can take on more functional stuff? Uh, so I normally prefer sort of someone who's done it before, who's on the cusp of you know managing people. Got it. Right. So they you they're know, not quite there, but right. they play your player yeah, coach, right? Yeah, like yeah, a player yeah. manager, right? Uh, yeah. so I think that's ideal. Now, if you just raise a gajillion dollars, then you know, do after seed rounding yeah. and do your rector, if you are a little bit more concerned about, you know, like whether you have a viable company, then yeah. you just want you know then you want maybe fire someone a little more junior because you know you need to conserve cash. So your mileage will vary, but yeah. I would say in general, right, if you are a sort of SaaS company, uh, you know, hire someone who's done it a few times, right? So you don't have to, you know, ma manage them too closely. And yeah. then the second you have to hire your second or third person, you have someone there who's capable of of taking them on. Where were you before this? Like, what was what's your story? Like, how did you get here? Oh, uh, yeah. well, no, I've been in the software business for uh, decades now, right? So yeah. I started off in the business intelligence. Yep. Do you use data pivots? Uh, uh, do you use pivot tables in, in yeah. Excel? So I was at the company. I was the product manager for a, a product called Data Pivot. Yeah, yeah, I which was Data Pivot. Come, I I know Data nonsense. Pivot. I only know Data Pivot. I never used it. Okay. I only know Data Pivot because I'm kind of fascinated by like early SaaS and early like software companies, okay. and the the old school like. VPs at Digital in Boston who are now like all of these advisors and stuff like they would talk about like the old school companies. I've never used it, but well, I was I'm a product, aware of I was it a product exists. manager for that. So you were the guy product. who created that. That's cool. I wasn't, wasn't the one who created yeah, it. I was yeah. a product, you know, because yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. you know, I joined the startup that had it and I became the product manager yeah. for it. And, and so in the I early days, my I was, description just made you sound super old. I oh, I'm super old. It's totally fine. <laughs> you know, so I started there and, yeah. you know, I, I landed in Silicon Valley in the early 90s and, uh, and so I just caught the bug and, you know, I, I really loved the innovation. You know, I, I wanted to be able to do things and see my actions lead to results. Right. And, and that's and the tech, entrepreneur trigger. Yeah. Right there. And the, yeah. yeah. Right. Because it's, it's, you know, you, you, it's like you do something and something happens. Yeah. Right? 
and you have control somewhat over that you happening have some or not control, happening. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, and so again, this is my turn zero is my fourth company, right? I've been in B2B for a long time. Uh, this one, I, I was just talking to a friend. It's like, okay, you know, I, I've set aside the next 15 to 20 years for this one. Yeah. I always joke about, it. I got one more in me. This is my nah, first you, one. You I got, got one more. No, you don't. <laughs> you got two, but I'll tell you, like, yeah. you think you're too, like when I started the company, it's like, all right, I don't need to do this again, right? Um, we get that itch, right? Yeah. But I want to do it again, yeah, right? And yeah, I finally yeah. realized, like, I'm just not going to fight myself, right? I'm That's not going to. I'm not going to look at, you know, like the, the math. It's like I just, I just want to do it again. Yeah. Like I'm more energized doing it than not doing it. That's cool. So, like, the second that, by the way, my, you know, my advice to you is like. The second that the you're less energized by it, that's when you that's when you say I need to do something else. Got it. Yeah, I think you always come back though, or at least you're always. What I've found with a lot of entrepreneurs is you're always doing something that's like entrepreneurial. It might not be like raising cash, building a SaaS company, but you're like, oh, we're gonna make this the best coffee shop in Nashua, New Hampshire. <laughs> like that's yeah, right. That type that's of right. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That counts, right? No, that of course. Than, that more than yeah. counts, right? So, what was your first job, and what did you learn from it? So I started working really early, probably when I was eight. Uh, eight. Eight. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so my dad was a manager at a Chinese restaurant. Okay. And so I did takeout work. Okay. Right. Just this was bagging. less of a choice. It sounds like family business. He just kind of. Well, it, it wasn't the, like he didn't own the place. Yeah, he he yeah. just wanted me because you know, I was I grew up in New York City, Chinatown, and okay. it was kind of a rough neighborhood back yeah. then with lots of gang activity. And he's like totally worried about me. So he's sure. like, all right, I'm oh, taking yeah, come you. To work. Yeah. I'm taking you out. You know, like you're gonna come on long to Long Island with me, right? To work, right? Now uh, we're gonna drive, you know, two hours to the restaurant, and we're gonna work. And so that was my first job, uh, and I did it until I was 21, right? And what I learned Eight to 21. Oh yeah, same place. Same place. Wow. So you had 10 years of experience when you were <laughs> graduating. I, I was actually financially independent, not that I could buy a house sure, or pay sure, rent, sure. but when I was 16, it was like, all right, I'm just going to make all my financial decisions from here on out, right? That's cool. It's 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 not always the greatest lesson, right? Sure. Because I was around other in, immigrants, yeah. right? And it was like, you knew that if you had nothing else, you could work hard. Yeah. Right. If there was not like if you were not the smartest person, yeah. if, you, if you if you didn't have the best connections, you know, like there's one thing you can control, right, to to make yourself yeah. successful. And that is, you know, the, the amount of the, the effort that you put in. That's so. cool. I wasn't quite uh, my dad's a roofer, was a roofer. Uh, I wasn't quite uh, getting pulled onto the roof to work, but I remember getting pulled to job sites. So sure. I can empathize like a dragging. little around right yeah probably, you're you know. like oh we gotta do this and, then, and i think it's a classic you know that blue collar kind of mindset of like you know like life is work you know it doesn't always have to be hard thankfully but like life is you know purpose you know right. and and i do have to yeah. pull myself off of that right like i don't want my child to be doing that like i don't yeah. i don't expect that from my kids i don't really want that from my you know like yeah. it was just too much well that's kind of the funny part right where people a lot of that is what you know, that, that, that imprinting has like made you who you are and successful, but you look at it as like, yeah, that was great. You almost rationalize how great it was, but then you're also like, I want to protect I my offspring from this, right, right. which then I don't know if you worry, but I haven't had kids yet. And this is a worry of, you know, classic, don't actually have the kid, but still worried about you're it. You're worrying like, about your kids that yeah, you don't have? Yeah. Well, no, like we're getting, why don't you wait until you have no, the kids and then you we're, can worry about them. We're getting into the territory. That's okay, why, right, that's why. That's interesting. About it. All right. Yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. this. Not quite congrats. We're not, go ahead. All right. We're like, we're now like, okay, are you ready to get off the road? And I'm like, yes, what are you worried about? Let's talk about No, but more of the like, you know, are you worried about making your kids soft, right? Like that's an interesting, you know, it's oh, a very yeah. direct way to say it. But, I say. but then you're kind of like, maybe you're okay with that because you're like, I don't want my kid to have to go through what I went through, that type of thing, you know? 
Yeah, well, look, look, I'm no expert, but your kids are going to be who they are. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They won. They come out. They're they're 80% form. Sorry. Oh, you're Sorry, a man. Guy. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> like, like, you have this much influence. You know, I, I, I always try to do... Um, I don't know. What's your management style? Like, you know, uh, um, like how, how, would, how would you describe it? Do you have like a, a way to describe it? Very direct, but when needed, empathetic. Okay. Yeah, that's how I describe right. it. So I'll, so I'll use, I'd like to use metaphors, right? So sure. I think early on, and I need something you need to change, right? Like I, I, I use a lead dog, right? Okay. Like you're leading the way, right? You're showing the way, but you're also pulling along with everyone else. You're pulling just as hard as everyone else, if not harder, right? And then, but when the company gets bigger, right? You sure. just cannot be there, Yeah. you know, like, like, are you the musher, right? Sure, or are you sure, the lead sure. dog, right? Uh, and Okay, from that perspective, yeah. I'm way too much of lead dog and you're I'm learning dog. that lesson right now. And and yeah, I think you gotta learn that yeah, lesson, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there's just- uh, There's a lot. You know, yeah, because you're, you're, it sounds like, you know, you, you wanna work hard, you're worried yeah. about making your kids soft, right? Yeah. So you just wanna not, lead Not to a point where I'm like going to do something to make them not, but just more like, is it, you know, you're gonna make them work, you know. Yeah, you're gonna it's like you're gonna get a roof now, man. It's, you're five years old. It's time for you to get. On well, the roof. that's but that's what's funny, right? Like I was like, you know, I was like, when do I when can I get my work permit? Is there an exception to get a work permit? You oh, know? when you were like, yeah, when I was like, no, I was like twelve, you know, because in a group in well, Wisconsin, so you right. can work farms and stuff, but you can't like work in a restaurant or something like that. Well, at least legally, but you just have to do the under the table paying. No, I, well, you know, I didn't. My, my dad, you know, big union roofer is like not, oh, he, not well, into, he wasn't that. into that. No, he's like. <laughs> not into that he's always like you know and probably saying some things that are a little little midwest blue collar guy let's just put it that way but i have a i have a, a nephew who's like buying like he's getting stuff people don't want and reselling them on ebay right? so many, it's such a great hustle is that, it. <laughs> but it's so good but i wouldn't I, I couldn't have thought of doing that when i was a kid you well, know yeah, we didn't I mean, have the yeah, tools you yeah, know yeah but isn't that, that's fantastic right it's like oh yeah. you should yeah now that you know the 12 year olds can do that yeah, yeah it'll be interesting it'll yeah. be interesting yeah. where uh where can people find you and anything you want to plug yeah. So, you know, look, if, if you are thinking about NRR, right, you know, think about really helping your customer success team achieve it. Right. And so if you don't, if you're not using a customer success tool, use it. Right. There's a time for it. Uh, there, there are great options out there. You know, Turn Zero happens to be one. So yeah. consider us as well. But I would say just start. Right. Uh, you know, empower that team that is going to be driving the valuation of your company. Right. With the tools that they need to do their job. Well, I like that. So I think as simple as that, if, if you're listening as a founder or CEO, like yeah. don't don't skimp on that. Right. Yeah. Five to 15 percent of your expenses should be devoted to, you know, the CCO. I like that. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. It was great to talk to you. Cool. All right, man. A huge shout out to you, Monsang, for doing the episode. Now you have what it takes to tackle churn. Today, we talked about innovation and customer success, establishing a retention focal point, optimizing retention, what most companies miss with retention, and who owns churn and expansion revenue. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell and the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods tend to like that sort of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Subscriptions.